Hey everyone, welcome to the Love and Truth Church Savannah podcast. We are so glad you joined us. Our hope is for these teachings to be encouraging and uplifting and that they would help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, let's get ready to receive a powerful message from Pastor A.J. Fowler. I'm going to give you, I've been praying into this word, and it's the word that the Lord's put into my spirit, but there is a, a movement of greater, I just, the word greater, there's a movement of greater that's, that's coming, and when I begin to try to put words behind the word greater, I can give you a bunch. Um. I say a greater measure of presence. I think it's just there's people becoming more aware of the presence of God. I think that he's here. I think he's, all, he's omnipresent. But I think there's going to be a greater measure. There's going to be a greater awareness that God's in the room. That God's not only just in the room, but that God's in your homes. There's going to be a... There's, there's going to be... An awakening of Joseph's, where there's there's dreamers that the Lord is um, reviving, and it's not dreamers for the sake of just dreaming but not doing anything about it, but these dreamers that these dreamers that I sense God is. Uh, Sending into our church, but also that's just kind of in this region. It's dreamers that's going to have, there's going to be, the process is attached to the dream where you're going to have to be processed, but don't fear the process because at the end of the process is is a palace experience. There is going to be the visionaries. We we are going to see a, a... I want to hear, I hear the word resurgence, but I also hear the word revival, a revival of vision that has, many people have lost vision for their lives, vision for their, for their own marriages, vision for their children and their future, and I, I see the Lord awakening and just really breathing life upon the soul and the mind and the will and the emotions to where visions begin to pop back up and people start looking, seeing the future, living in the present but have have a grasp on the future and seeing God in it. I, I see just I see a, a a greater and when I say I see in my mind's eye, I'm just telling you what I'm I'm seeing. I'm seeing just a a, a greater we we've seen healings and portions. We've seen healings here little, there little, but I, I see it coming in, in greater heaps. I see there was a season I prayed heaps for whatever reason. I couldn't get away from the word heaps, but just God heaping uh, the, the, the miraculous movement of healings of the body, a supernatural movement of healings where it's not just going to be an era of healings. I believe it's going to be a movement of healings. Like it's, I think about Kenneth Hagin, Sr., when there was an era of healing and the healing evangelist, but we were approaching, we are in the last days. Uh, we're not in the last day, but we're in the last days. 
You know what I'm saying? And we're, we're going to begin to see things speed up. Um, and I, 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 I tell our people this, and I want you to take heed to the word, um, because you're not placed in jobs. You're not placed in, in uh, spheres of influence just to show up. God has strategically placed you where he's taking you. It's a grand design. And God is looking for those, and I'm just going to hear the word of the Lord right now. God is looking for those that will say, who will partner with me and cry out to give, me, give them greater. Greater is the word. Greater is the word. I can't, I, I, this was mine, but now it's ours. A lot of times before God begins to work it through the whole of, of a church, he'll deal with the top first. Isn't it interesting that the veil of the temple was torn from the top down? Why? Because leaders have to be torn from the top down. We have to be open. We have to be broken. The leaders have to be prepared for what, what God wants to do. And, and it, there's, there's, there's no limit to what the Lord is going to do. There's no limit. You with me? Do we believe that? Um, I don't know how I even go into this tonight, but it is my last part. Um, and I, I, gonna, I'm really going to talk from my heart. Um, <laughs> one of my pastor friends asked me, he said, how long are you going to do this series? And I told him, I said, but you, you, when you know you've come from that heart of an orphan that you're saved, but the heart of an orphan, you, you're saved, you're going to heaven, but you, you really haven't experienced the Father. And then when you experience the Father and there's an encounter that takes place, then you begin to know him on a deeper level. An orphan spirit is the same thing as an Egyptian mindset. That's what it is. Um, you have, you're saved, but you're still enslaved to yesterday. You're still enslaved to things, mindsets. And so there has to be a shifting of the heart. The heart has to be transformed. Hint, hint of where I'm going tonight. I want to talk about the transformed mind to wrap this up. As I talk about healing the orphan spirit, I want to talk about the transformed mind. Because the mind has to be, you can come to an altar and you can have one of the most powerful encounters. And many of us that grew up in that background in Pentecostal, we've, we've experienced things in these altars that have been so powerful and, and, and things of that nature. You've sat in your seats and experienced things before. But how many of you understand that like a lot of times when you walk away from the altar, you wake up the next morning and that thing's still nagging on you, right? Because what, let, me, let me give you a tidbit. Again, I'm going to talk from my heart tonight. Here, here's... Here's what, if I could say that I am learning, many of you have probably already learned this, but what I am learning and what I believe every time is any time, Kenny, that I have an encounter with the Word of God, because God wants to balance you between Word and Spirit. We've, I have been Spirit-heavy and less Word, and I have been Word-heavy and less Spirit. When you're Spirit-heavy, it's very... There, there's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of stuff. Now, I'm not saying the spirit is, is chaotic. We get emotional and tire emotions to it, and we're not anchored to anything, so we're spirit heavy. But when you're word heavy, you can become a legalist. I'm not saying that the, the Bible is legalistic, but you can develop a legalistic mindset, which is why you have to be balanced between word and spirit. And that's what the Lord expects from you is to be balanced between word and spirit. You got it? And so for all of us, what does that mean? That means that when I approach the Word of God, that means that I have to be looking. I have to be looking for an encounter. 
because it's alive. When someone's alive, we're going to have interaction and conversation. So as I'm reading Scripture, there is an experience that I am, I'm expecting when I read Scripture. Even though I may not remember it, nor retain it, nor remember the fullness of the, whatever I read, there is, there's an encounter there with the Word of God. When I pray, I hope... I'm a feeler, so I have to feel something, right? And I don't don't let your feelings lie to you. There's been times where, you know, whatever. But I've been in the I've been in the prayer closet praying, and and uh, I walk away and didn't feel a thing in the moment, but felt so energized and so strengthened and refreshed and renewed, and didn't feel the first goosebump. But in those moments, whether it be in the Word of God or in the Spirit, regardless of which way you're leaning in them, you do them all at the same. Obviously, you don't read Scripture apart from the Spirit, but. The, the encounter that you've been given, a lot of people will walk away from altars and nothing ever changes because that first off, whether it's in the Word of God or in an altar or a personal encounter, is because you don't understand that the, the, the encounter you just had is, is a seed. It's a seed of transformation. It's a revelation. It's a revelation of what? It's a revelation of God's nature. Every time you encounter, I'm tell, I mean this, this is as serious as I can be. Every time that you have an encounter with God, it is a revelation that reveals his nature that allows you to see more of how he is and how he functions and how he operates. But if you walk away from the encounter and chalk it up as, well, that was wonderful and that was great, but you don't learn anything from it, then you walk back right back into this. Does that make sense? So every encounter I have... I say it this way, it's a breadcrumb. It's not just, I mean, it's more than that. But it just leads me deeper into, a, into uh, the knowledge of God. It leads me deeper into the fear, the awe, the reverence of God. It leads me deeper into revelation because every revelation that you receive requires your participation. If God reveals himself to you in some way, it's not just so that you can feel good. Yes, in essence, but it's also to reveal his nature. Because that's, that's why people, they get, miscon, they, they get misconstrued or, or mess up or skew his nature because there's a lack of encounter. And, and it can come powerful, subtle in the word of God or in prayer or in an altar service. You have to know that every time I encounter God, this is just something for you to know if you don't get anything else tonight. If I encounter God in whatever measure that I encounter him, it's meant for me to walk away with a revelation of his nature so that I can take it and look to the next time. Every, and whatever that time is, um, that's, that's just what I'm personally having to learn. And that the, the encounter is a seed. Every experience I have with God is a seed that is going to bring forth a greater, a greater, a potentially greater encounter with the presence of God. And when I talk about greater, I'm not talking about where a flail and shake could happen. Maybe so. I don't know. I've been in those moments where all I could do is weep and cry. But I've been in those moments when reading the Word of God, and I remember reading in the book of Hebrews, if you got your Bibles, you can turn to Romans 12. But reading in the book of Hebrews, and the reason why I'm telling you this is because it all leans into the, uh, as I wrap up and talk about the transformed mind, because every son and every daughter in the kingdom of God that is doing their dead level best to stay in chair number one, which is a spirit-filled life, learn, you, you, you know, and you, it, it's a fight at times, but that as, as God, um, how do I word this? As I am in pursuit of the Lord, there's always going to be something that pops up to interfere with my time. It's always going to be something. And so it's not always a delight. So as a son, as a daughter, 
um, it's a fight to stay in chair number one, and it's not always going to be, uh, it's, it can be disciplined at time. And, I mean, that's why we're disciples. But as we look into this tonight, and as it pertains to sonship, and to wrap this thing up, I really want to hone in and focus on uh, the mind that is being transformed and renewed by the Word of God, and not just the Word of God, but there's other things attached to it as well. Um, but the, the orphan... An orphan spirit, the and I'll just rehash this. I've talked about it every week, but just to just to cover it, the orphan spirit is not necessarily a demonic spirit. It's more of a mentality. It's the heart. It's an attitude. Just like offense is an attitude. It's you can choose to remain offended. Um, the orphan spirit is you can choose to remain enslaved to an old thought or an old pattern uh, of thinking, an old way of thinking. Orphans, if I could break it down to this in. Uh, in the natural or parentless, comfortless, but according to Hebrew, the Hebrew people, they're fatherless. The father is not in the home. So that's why the scripture talks about pure and undefiled religion is what visiting the widows and the orphans. Why? Because the father's not at home. So when, when there is, in the, in the spiritual understanding, there can be spiritual orphans. There can be those that attend church, sit on the seat, they're saved, they're going to heaven, but they do not know the father, just like the religious older son. The prodigal son, remember when I talked about that? You had the younger brother that ran off with all the father stuff. He had a moment where he's, he came to himself and he said, I'm going back to my father's house. I'll just be a slave in the house. He turns back, the father restores him, but we always forget about the older religious son, the older brother that was in the field. He was in the house but did not have the heart of the father. He was an orphan as well because he didn't know him. If he would have known his father's nature, he would have known we're celebrating right now. And he would have known that all the father had was his to begin with, right? So that, that's what I'm referring to. It's the attitude. It's a slave mentality. It's a, an Egyptian mindset. And before I get to Romans 12, I want to let you know this. There's something that Jesus mentions in the book of John, and I really want you to read this. So just side note, you got some time this week, at this, before this week's out. John chapter 8, uh, verse 34 through 36. I'm just going to paraphrase this as I'm hit because there's a word I want to look at. Jesus is talking to, they're, they're Jewish believers, all right? He's yet to go to the cross, but they believed in him, all right? They're believing in Jesus. He's not talking to those that are necessarily, quote, unquote, lost in the story and the text. But he, he tells them, he says that, uh, that they said, um, he told them, he says, hey, whom the son sits free is free indeed. And they're like, what are you even talking about? We've never been enslaved to anybody. And it's like, oh, my goodness, are you kidding me? You've been enslaved to the Babylonians. Do I need to go any further? The Babylonians and all throughout history, there's certain ones that oppressed you and enslaved you. And now you're under the Roman government and you're enslaved right now as you speak. And so... They're like, oh, we're descendants of Abraham, blah, blah, blah. And Jesus, he tells them, he says, look, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Now, when I read that the first time, I thought to myself, oh, man, I'm, I'm a slave to sin. Because at some point during the day, I'm going to lose it about something. You know, the, it's just, you know, but that, you, whatever yours is, you put yours in that. So don't judge me by sin you don't struggle with, all right? So, but, but think of this word. He says, the one that commits sin is a slave to sin. Commit. Focus on that word. What does that really mean? Everyone, so what that means is, is everyone that's committed to continuing in that sin, and that Greek word means to formulate a plan. So when we're orphan-minded, now just toss this in for a moment. When we're orphan-minded, 
We can come and have an encounter with God and go right back and step right back into an orphan Egyptian mindset and not change. Because we're still formulating a plan to stay in our dysfunction. And the process to transformation is not easy, which is why we fight that. We don't like that. We don't want to have to change. We want everybody around us to change. God changed them. God changed them. God changed them. When you get to about three, you need to stop and say, wait a second, God changed me. Maybe I'm the one that's the, the, the common denominator as to why all this mess is happening. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. I'm just saying, stop and look at yourself. God, is it me that needs to change? Because maybe, maybe you have an orphan tendency. Maybe you have an Egyptian mindset. Um, and I'll, I'll dive that, I'll deep dive that in just a moment. But whoever formulates a plan to stay in that place, you're enslaved to it. You're enslaved to that. And, and just, a, just a short tidbit, if you, you know that you're an orphan, if you're constantly in competition, and it could be anything, orphans always compete. And orphans always live like this, clenched fist, not releasing and saying, God gives and God takes away. Whatever, I, so I'll leave that with you on that. Now, a lot of this stuff I'm telling you, I've, I've walked, I'm, I'm still dealing with it, all right? So, like I told you, I vacillate from chair number one to chair number two. And it just depends. You might get me in chair number three if you make me mad. No, I'm just kidding. But the spirit-filled life chair, and I'm, I'm showing this for you, but the spirit-filled life chair is the one that doesn't say, this chair says, God, what are you blessing? That's what I want to bless. I want to move in the way that you want to move. And when God says, what do you want to do? It's, I don't care, God. What do you desire to do? I mean, we have our dreams and visions. Chair number two says, bless me, bless me, bless me. God bless this, bless that. Um, um, and then, but doesn't have the faith to believe that God can bless. You're faithless, right? Faithful, soulish mind is faithless. Man, I can't go there. I know I want to. Just rehash, but I'll, all right. Romans chapter 12. Let me read this. And then, I'm, again, I'm just going to talk through this tonight. So hopefully it makes sense. <laughs> Oh, boy, here we go. So this is a very familiar passage of Scripture, and, and the Apostle Paul is writing, and he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. We could close the Bible and go home right now because that's something that we are called to do. It's reasonable, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. I love what the NIV says. It's your reasonable it's only reasonable. It makes sense to present your bodies wholly acceptable as your spiritual service of worship. Next verse. Verse number two is really what I want to get to. It says, and do not be conformed. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that in order to, remember that I preached that on Sunday, so that or in order, God is a God of order and you have to do it right. If you don't do it right, you can't know the will of God. It goes on to say, so that you may prove. It's not you taking the scripture and say, oh, yeah, this is, yeah, that's, that verse is real. That verse is true. No, no, no. It's the, the only way that you can discern and know and understand the plan and the will of God is to have the mind renewed. If your mind is not being, and the only way you renew your mind is through the washing of the word over your mind. And that's, in, that's, the, that's the rhema word of God. That is, the, that is the, the freshly spoken word of God. But also, obviously, of all things, the logos, the written word of God. You need them both. The spoken and the written word is what cleanses and washes you. And that's how you know the plan and the will of God. Um, 
I, I had no intention for my life. I had no intention to be a pastor. I had no intention to, to be in full-time ministry. I, I, you call me, call me, man, you were just completely dense or whatever you want to say. It just never crossed my mind. All I knew was, God, I'm coming after you. I'm, I, I, I want you. And as I pursued God, it was almost like, you know, the things that I wanted turned out to be the things that I needed, and I got what I always wanted because I pursued him. And as the mind was renewed, the will of God opened up. Some of us are, pr- are praying for the future. God, I need, I need this, I need this. But wait, have you just stepped back and, and, and just begin to give yourself in full pursuit? Uh, presented yourself holy and acceptable unto the Lord, fasting, seeking after the pl- after God, I don't, I don't care. I, I just need you. Nothing else matters but you. And then just watch what God begins to open up. I'm just encouraging you. If that's something you haven't done, then maybe you're missing the mark because you're giving yourself to something that the flesh desires and you're sitting right here in the soulish life. It's what I want, but it's not what he wants because he knows what you need. Do you believe that? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires. You know what that that, that word delight means? Become clay in the hands of God. Sister Frances prayed that over my wife and I some years back and said, God, let them become clay in your hands. Someone that knows how to become clay in the hands of God, that sacrificed all of what America would offer to leave and go into a missions field. Nevertheless, not my will, God, but what you will. You, you, that, that's a concept I haven't fully grasped yet. I'm, pre, I'm praying it. To delight myself, become clay in the hands of God, and he'll give me the desires. So what does that mean? He shapes you for the desires that he knows you need. That's what that means. But what does the word conform mean? Because we want to talk about this. How does this pertain to sonship? Well, for to be continually led by the Spirit of God is what that means to be a son. It's not a one-time leading. It's to continually be led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons and daughters of God. That's what Romans talks about. Conformed means to adjust to. These that have conformed, adjusted to, compromised, they've mixed with, accepted, and aligned themselves with the customs, the patterns, the strategies, the blueprints of the world. These are the ones that don't only understand and fully understand what it means to walk in the plan of God. You can't conform to the, to the strategies of this world. You can't conform to the blueprints of this world. You can't conform to pop culture and what's trending. You can't conform to what, uh, I don't even know some of the shows now because I I have YouTube TV every so often we watch. But some of the shows, the E! News, if you want to go back, does that way back? I don't know. Maybe it is. Um, But you can't go to what's trending. You can't look on Fox News and see what's trending to know, oh, well, I don't. No, because you're building your faith in a system that's broken. The pattern of this world is failing. And and God is, what does the scripture say? It says the earth is groaning and travailing for the manifestation of the sons of God in the earth. Why are we having what we're having? Why why is the the planet beginning to to travail? Because it's crying out for a savior. I'm serious. At some point, because there's unbelievers that won't lift their voice to God, the rocks are going to cry out. And because he's holy and he's that worthy. So God is saying, where's the sons and daughters? Where are they? The earth is, is, is beginning to implode itself. It's imploding because it's crying out for us to manifest in the earth. It's crying out for renewal. You carry 
The spirit of reconciliation and renewal and revival. What is that? It's the spirit of Jesus. The spirit of Jesus is revival. The spirit of Jesus is the testimony of the goodness of our Father. What God's done in you, if you're a son, if you're a daughter, you got a voice. But how do you use it? What are you listening to? Um, the longer you're in a system, if I could go back and talk about an Egyptian mindset or the orphan mentality, the longer that you're in a system, the harder it is to come out of it. The longer you're in an addiction, the, the harder it is to come out of it. Anybody can identify with that? I can. The longer that you're in a place, you begin to become comfortable with, and the harder it is to come out. i got to keep moving. Jesus proves to us that you can be in the system but not be affected by the system. Jesus says, hey, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. You have to know that you're other than, you're different from. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as what? Orphans. I'm going to come to you. What does that mean? The spirit of adoption. That's what he's given to us, that we can be in it, but not of it. You with me? So Jesus, I love what he said. He said, the evil one is coming, but he has nothing in me. He said, I will not talk with you much more. He's talking with his disciples, and he said, for the prince, and I, and I love uh, the... Um, Trying to think of what translation this is that we t- is um, oh, the, I can't remember. Anyway, I'll tell you in a minute. It says, "I will not talk with you much more for the prince, the evil genius ruler of this world is coming, and he has no claim in me." He says he has nothing in common with me. There is nothing in me that belongs to him, and he has no power over me. That's the amplified. He has no power. There's nothing that Satan had in Jesus. And he's looking at us and saying, it can be the same for you. But there has to be, how, what is the, how do I get to that point? It's the, tra- it's the transformation of a renewed mind. One of my favorite authors wrote a book sometime back called The Supernatural Power of the Transformed Mind. Whenever, whenever you know that your mind is being transformed, when I can observe and look at a, at a an impossible situation, and all of a sudden it starts looking logical that God could move in it. You know your mind's being renewed when the impossible begins to look logical. The more you read Scripture, what's your first response when stuff happens? Do you believe God can heal? Do you believe God can work and move and transform in these moments? So I think that's a I think it's a vital point for us. I, I want to also, as I was uh, reading today and this uh, uh, thinking through this on uh, really just Monday beginning to, to, to meditate on a thought uh, <clears throat> with the Egyptians and as the children of Israel are in this place of bondage they're, they're in a place of where they begin to outgrow the Egyptians and for fear that they would take over the whole of the nation because that's an orphan mindset for fear they begin to start cramping your style they start to oppress you they make fun of you and mock you because they see greatness and so they got to stymie it somehow. we got to block this thing somehow. Because the children of Israel, the more they oppressed them, the more they grew. Because it was God's hand. Moses comes before Pharaoh and he says, you got to let my people go three days journey so that we can worship in the wilderness. We can't worship in this paganistic, this, uh, this, this land. We can't, we can't do this here. This is heathens. We're, we're in amongst heathens. And so Moses approaches Pharaoh and 
And, and, and Pharaoh says, nope, it's not happening. We know stuff begins to happen. The second time he comes to Pharaoh, stuff has been happening. There's all of these plagues and things going on. And Pharaoh says, okay, I'll tell you what, Moses, I'll only let you go. None of your people can go. Moses says, that's not the deal. God's going to bring some stuff on you if you don't let us go and worship. So for fear of that, because work, work had to be done, that slave ship mentality, he's trying to oppress them. No, Moses, only you can go. So he walks away. Plagues begin to happen. The third time, Pharaoh, Moses returns to him. He calls Moses this time, and he says, hey, listen, you and the women and the children, y'all can go. Because Moses was trying to take all out. He says, you and the children, and the, y'all can go, but you got to leave the livestock. And Moses is like, it's not going to work. That's not how we function. Because here's what I understand about that old mentality. It takes somebody. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. If you're bound in that Egyptian mindset, that orphan spirit, that attitude, it takes somebody that's already come out of the system to come back in and identify to you to pull you out of it. Moses has been 40 years removed from bondage on the backside of nowhere, encounters the presence of God in a way where confidence is, 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 is renewed him, uh, spoke to him and said, don't worry about what you're going to say. I'm going to take care of you. But it takes somebody that's come from outside of the system to come back into the system to lead a group of people out. The fourth time it shows up, and this time Mo, uh, Pharaoh says, get out. Get out of here. And they go and they plunder the Egyptians. Why? Again, because it ta- you, you, you have to see this. If your mind... I hope everybody understands, honestly, the orphan. If you missed that Wednesday night when I talked about the orphan tendencies and those things especially, I've, I've hit them on the way on certain things. But if your mind could ever believe the word of God enough to know who you are in Christ, you would stop trying to be somebody else that nobody cares about that the only thing they care about is that they're trending and that they're popular on whatever one of your favorite shows are or whatever your favorite sports team are. But if you would ever figure out who God created you to become, you would stop fighting to become somebody else. And you would start crying out, God, paint me to become the picture that you saw, the vision of me when you saw me before I went into my mother's womb. The fullness of that person is who I've got to become. And every one of them looks like Jesus. Because the enemy is committed to keeping you bound in a cycle, to keeping you in that slave ship, that Egyptian mindset, that orphan mentality where you don't ever identify with the Father. No, maybe you don't fall into sin. Maybe you don't struggle with something that takes the rest of your life to get rid of. But maybe he can just keep you bound in in, in a place where he keeps the blinders on your eyes from honestly seeing the goodness of our Father. And honestly, identify, being able to pray, being able to read Scripture and, 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 and identify with who He is, and it begins to recalibrate your, your spiritual DNA because you're no longer an orphan, but you're a son and you're a daughter. What keeps your mind's attention? What is your mind committed to? Think about it for just a moment. I think about... I said this a while ago about, about Moses, but God couldn't take the children of Israel out of bondage until he first took a son out of bondage in Moses. And Moses referred to him as his father. God couldn't use Paul to bring the light of the gospel to the known world until he dealt with Saul. Saul was, was a, a religious older brother that was bound by the spirit of religion and the Phariseeism. There had to be the breaking of strongholds. Listen to the slave mentality. This is when Moses is leading the children of Israel out. Check this out. 
Exodus 14, 11 and 12. Moses said to him, he said, is it because, or excuse me, uh, they said to Moses, is it because there were no more graves in Egypt that you've taken us out to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Can you think about that? What was Egypt for? Oppression. Working them to death, literally. And in verse 12, is it not the world that we spoke to, is it not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. That is an Egyptian mindset that is unwilling to change. Let us go back into bondage because it was more comfortable. We don't know the future. We want to know. We we like to be able to predict what's about to happen. The hardest thing that you will ever do is change your mind. That's the hardest thing you'll ever do. Why is it that we fight change and it's so much a part of our life? Just a question. Really quick, I want to talk about something because really this leads us The mindset, it leads us to a stronghold. And can I tell you what a stronghold is? It's, in short, I'll give you this portion. I'm going to give you my personal definition. This is one that one of my favorites said. He said, strongholds could be defined as a fortress made of thoughts. Let me take it a step further and say this. Because we're supposed to pull these things down. A stronghold is, think about it in medieval times, is that where they would... Whether it was by, whether it was by the pike, the big round log pikes that they would bind around a place to keep people out, um, or it would be built by block and stone, built up in a mighty fortress to keep people from coming in, obviously against raids. But every time that I believe a lie that the enemy is speaking, because I don't understand, I don't, I don't discern. I'm not in word, so I can't discern whether it's from God, whether that's from me, or whether it's from the enemy. Every time I believe a lie, I take a stone and I partner with the enemy, me and him, and we build a stone. We put it right there. I believe that lie. So next thing you know, I have walled me up, and I think that I have built me a mighty fortress to keep the, the hand of the enemy out, and we start keeping others out. And what it takes in that moment is it takes a Moses, it takes a son, it takes a Saul turned Paul that will scale the walls of the mighty, as the proverb says. It, it climb foot upon foot upon step of every lie that you've been believing that you have to climb over that wall, and you've barricaded yourself. You're seating. You're seated in a place, maybe it's in a soulless life. You're seated here, and you're comfortable, and you're good because you don't want to change. But then all of a sudden, you see somebody climbing over the wall, showing up at your doorstep, calling your phone, shooting you a text, having a call. Hey, what's going on with you? What's happening in your world? Oh, I'm, I'm good, praise the Lord. You know, all the, all the wonderful Christianese terms to say and, and communicate and shoot the verses back and not even in the right context and all that good stuff, but you're doing it anyway. And they show up, and they say, hey, I just want to know what's going on. What's happening in your world? No, I'm good. What are you talking about? Can you not, you not see the fortress that I have built behind? I, I'm, I'm holy and righteous before God, but something's off because you've never learned to truly discern the voice of God. Therefore, you've fallen into a place of where you're separated in a sense in your mind. Whenever something bad happens, you immediately turn sour at God because it's, the heart's wrong. You love God, but you don't know him as father. Again, he's he's. Not he's Godfather and not God the Father. So you're seated right here. They scale the walls of the mighty, and then all of a sudden they start talking to you. And all of a sudden truth starts to penetrate into your heart of hearts. And all of a sudden the light begins to shed because the scripture says, one of my favorite Psalms says, the enfolding of your of your words gives light. 
whenever your word, David just fell in love and writes the longest psalm about the word of God. And he said the enfolding, whenever your words begin to unfold and whenever you begin to show them to me, it brings light. And as they speak to you, the word, all of a sudden it begins to cut through your heart of hearts. And then all of a sudden they say, hey, look, let's dismantle this, this fortress that you've built, these lies that you've been believing of the enemy. That guess what? You're going to, uh, that, that you just need to accept your fate of where you're at, that you're no good, that yeah, this has happened and this is as, be- as good as it's going to get. And all of a sudden, the, the, the prayer of two, where God sends one into your life, the two to three begin to gather and pray. And all of a sudden, the, the fortress begins to fall block by block, brick by brick. You, brick. you start believing truth and stop believing lies. That's what happens when a stronghold comes into your world. You think you're good. You've, you've pushed everybody out. But what you've done is you've walled yourself in. And you're in an invisible prison that your friend is trying to tell you. You're in a prison. You're like, no, I'm good. I'm safe. No, you're safe from those that love you. King David was told that you love those who hate you and you hate those who love you. That's a stronghold. That's what it does. It's what the enemy uses, and he'll use your own emotions against you. Strongholds may find root in the experience of our past. Could be rooted in the events of our present. Could be from the system of error within, which is sometimes what happens. AJ, come on. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm about to land the plane. I hope. No, I really am. I got two minutes. Left, two minutes. Without the capacity to detect which thoughts are ours, which are God's, our thoughts or the enemies, we fall prey to attacks consistently. So how do you pull down strongholds? This Egyptian mind, this orphan mentality, you ready? You ready to take some notes? If you can, I don't know if you want to, on your phone, snapshots, whatever works best for you. Listen to this, this is very important. The written word gives us legal grounds to fight. You need to understand that. We call, oh, it's the word of God, it's truth. But this is also a legal document, which means that the enemy plays by these rules. He has to. Do you think that if God speaks something that the enemy can bypass it not and not obey it? He still obeys. He has law. He can't, he can't overstep where he he can't steal anything in the sense of I think back in the beginning of the garden, he he could not steal from them. He had to manipulate them so they would forfeit authority. I'm telling you. Now he does come to kill, steal, and destroy, understand, but I'm saying he manipulates. He can't create anything. The power of God coming out of our mouths sets the captive free. That sets me free when I confess and because I believe in my heart. How do you think salvation happens? You believe it in your heart, you confess it with your mouth. Boom, you're saved. Do you believe you're saved? Then if you believe the word of God in your heart, whenever you read about these things that Jesus did and told us you can do too, when you, when you believe that in your heart, you confess it with your mouth, why don't we see it happen? I'm just asking because salvation comes the same way. Here you go. Our Father has given you and I weapons. You ready for the weapons? They're simple. I'll give it to you, but it's for you to take them. This is to dismantle everybody in this room, to dismantle strongholds. Because this, the, the, the slave ship mentality, the bondage mentality where you stay, you're a Christian, you're saved, but you're not living to the fullest life you could because you're bound and compromise and whatever's happening consistent with the culture.
The first one is this. The blood of Jesus deals with sin. We know that. So the blood works. I plead the blood. You'll hear me pray it a lot. I am saying, Jesus, what your blood did, what it did yesterday, what it did today, and what it's going to do forever. I plead that blood over my life and my family. Protection, health, breakthrough, blessing, and freedom. I plead that over my life. I heard my grandmother pray. I plead the blood. I remember it. I plead the blood. I plead. I never knew what it meant. You just prayed it anyway because you just said what they said. Number two, the cross of Jesus deals with flesh. And yes, it was gory, it was nasty, and it was violent. But it was the most necessary thing that humanity will ever need. It's the cross. And guess what? The cross that slays me today is the cross that's going to save me tomorrow. You need the cross. You need the blood. You need the cross. I got two more. The name of Jesus deals with my enemy. Now, there's scripture references. I'm sorry. I meant to give those to you. I just got excited. Number two, the cross of Jesus deals with our flesh. Romans 6, 6. Go back and read it. The name of Jesus deals with our enemy. It's Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 10, 10 through 11. At the name of Jesus, every knee's going to bow. Number four. The faith of Jesus is my shield against the darts of the enemy. The faith of Jesus. You want to tear strongholds down? You want to combat those things coming against you? Here's your four. What am I saying on that? Faith, above all, taking up the shield of faith, which is able to quench every fiery dart of the enemy. Why are they fiery? Because the enemy knows he may not, it may not, it may not kill you in a hit, but if it can be on fire, maybe it burns you out. There's so much to say about that. So, those four is how you combat this, but let me just leave you with these three, and then I'm going to pray. In order to expose the lies and the orphan spirit, we must, number one, let the light of the Word expose it. That's number one. Let the light of the Word expose it. If you're really dealing with this bondage mentality, You sense it, you know, I don't know, maybe it identifies with some of you. You got to let the word expose it. Number two, you got to let the truth of the word oppose it. And number three, you let the power of God dispose it. It's all Him, it's nothing you can do on your own. Stand to your feet, if you would. Some of you are dealing with, and I really feel to fall into this or flow into this vein for just a few moments. Some of you are dealing with some serious father wounds. And I don't know that I necessarily feel to give an altar call for that to come towards the front. But what I do want to do is I I want you to bow your heads all over this room and I want to pray. Because I'm I just I'm telling you, there is a warp perspective. I went, I preached this maybe the first week that I started into this but there's some work perspective as it pertains to your earthly fathers and because of your earthly fathers it's given you a different a, a wrong perspective of, of our father it's an interesting that when Jesus prayed he didn't say my father he says our father who is in heaven it was an inclusive prayer that all would come to pray and know him as that so if, if that's you right now Ain't nobody looking, hopefully. Lift your hand so I can see that. It's like you don't understand what happened with my dad. See hands? Anybody else? Come on, I know there's a few more in the room. See the hand? Anybody else? See a hand? 
Listen, God's going to restore. There is a... There is a... uh, First off, I see uh, I see reconciliation taking place where those of you that's lifted your hands, and, and this could be for any of you if you just want to lift your hands before God, I just want to pray. But I just, I'm telling you, and I sense this and I feel this, and only He can do this, but I see Him wrapping you up right now. I see, I'm telling you, just the Father coming up, coming up behind you, putting His arms around you, and just holding you. Because He doesn't, He doesn't want you. To see him in that light because he, he, he never intended for those things to happen. Whatever was said, whatever was done, telling you that you were a mistake, whatever it may be, God never intended that. So God wants to heal that right now in this moment. And so I, I, I pray, I pray over you right now that first off there would be reconciliation between you and God the Father, and then there's a restoration. Where God begins to speak to you and talk to you about things that you should have been told by your natural dad. That he, God is proud of you. God does love you. You're our beloved son, your beloved daughter. He loves you. And he wants to restore every facet of your mind, your will, your emotions. He wants to heal. Break down any barriers. Bring wholeness to your world. Because the focus of A son and a daughter in the kingdom is wholeness. Wholeness. Now, for those of you that are struggling with with strongholds, come on, lift your hand. Lift your hand right now. Anybody? Pastor AJ, I got some strongholds. There's some things that I have walled people out and kept them out of, and I, I need to see it broken. I see hands going up all over this room. Anybody else? I guess everybody else is good. Come on now, just lift the other hand. Lift the other hand. Give me two minutes right here. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for these that have these strongholds that are a struggle to have tore down tonight, God. They have been given the weapons they need to see them dismantled. And I prophesy over them right now in Jesus' name that the weapon the enemy has formed is real and it has come it's it is a sharp weapon it has been a weapon that has been wreaking havoc and destruction but tonight i prophesy over them and say no more that it stops and that lord there i want you guys to see yourself in the palm of of god's hand right now see yourself in the palm of god's hand and the enemy can't take you out of it he can't take you out of it you're covered come on say that right now say i'm covered i'm protected I'm accepted, and I'm loved. I'm going to say it again. I know it sounds crazy. I'm covered, I'm protected, I'm accepted, and I'm loved. There is conviction coming where there's been a concept. It's about to affect the way you Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you are able to take something from this sermon and apply it to your life. Also, feel free to share this with your friends and family. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at loveandtruthchurchsavannah at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week.